Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Thank you so much for tuning into the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. So excited to bring you another episode this week. And today's interview is one that I am so excited to share. But before we dive into the topic of the day and today's interview, I wanted to share with you the review of the week. It says, so relatable. I love this podcast. The language and topics are so relatable and encourage you to live your best, healthy, and well-informed life. The guests are such badasses, and Lestrandra is an incredible host who always adds great commentary to her interviews, but allows her guests to shine beautifully. Thanks for always giving me a thought-provoking commentary that motivates me to do better. So thank you so much for that amazing review. I really, really appreciate it. Reviews are so important to the show. It's how people find the show. It's what helps us get ranked on iTunes, which is really huge for growing our show and community. And it is really the number one thing you can do to support the show. So if you have not yet left a review for us on Apple iTunes, please do so. It is a huge help and I really, really appreciate it. Today's episode dives into a topic that I'm incredibly excited to talk about with you today. So if you've been following me for longer than a year, then you may know that over the past year, I have transitioned to wearing my natural hair every day. I started straightening my hair at a very young age. I believe I got my first relaxer at the age of nine and had been straightening my hair constantly ever since. And last year, 2018, I decided to stop decided to learn how to work with my natural hair texture, and really haven't looked back since. And what that has done is, for me, it created a lot of confidence that I didn't have before. It's really helped me feel more comfortable in my own skin with who I am, just as I am. But it's also really impacted the way a lot of people interact with me. A lot of the questions that I get on social media often revolve around hair. I get a lot of other women with natural hair reaching out, asking a lot of questions. And it's really just opened up a lot of different conversations that I love having, but just never really had before last year. However, Something else that is really, really important to me is to make sure that this platform and these conversations are not all about me or all about my perspective or all about my experiences. And for me, even though, yes, I have transitioned to my natural hair over the past year and that has been a really big change for me and I had a lot of mindset shifts that really came from that and came from really being ready for that and feeling confident with that, In a lot of ways, my experience does not represent everybody's experience. And for me, even my hair texture is kind of a loose type three curl pattern. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's what I have. It's not something that I, you know, feel some type of way about. However, when you look at a lot of the images of women with natural hair that are celebrated, especially in the online space, that texture tends to look a lot like mine. And That's fine, but that is not the end-all be-all. That is not the end-all be-all to the black woman's experience. That is definitely not the end-all be-all to beauty. However, 
in a lot of spaces, it is still very narrow around what is celebrated, especially in the conversation around natural hair. So it was really important to me that when I did a show here on Balanced Black Girl about natural hair, it wasn't necessarily about my hair. It wasn't about people who have mixed textured hair. Not to say that those conversations aren't important, but that is often what is celebrated. And I don't believe that that should be the case. I think that all different textures are absolutely incredible and need to be represented and need to be celebrated and that it shouldn't just be focused on one singular thing that, to be honest, is only celebrated because of its proximity to whiteness. And that is something that I really, really wanted to dive into on the show, which is why I am so excited to bring you today's interview. And today's guest was just wonderful. We had an incredible conversation about this, and I'm really excited for you to get to know her. So today's guest is Kayla Greaves, who is an award-winning journalist who currently works at Bustle as the Fashion and Beauty Features Editor. She was previously a lifestyle editor at the Huffington Post, and her work has appeared in BuzzFeed, Teen Vogue, Elle, Blavity, Fashion Magazine, Upscale Magazine, S Magazine, and more. Using an intersectional and inclusive approach, her pieces focus mainly on women's issues, culture, beauty, and fashion. Earlier this year, Kayla created a series for Bustle called Good Hair, which explored the joys of having 4C hair. Though the natural hair movement is alive and well, it hasn't necessarily been inclusive of all textures, and we really dive into discussing hair texture discrimination in the natural hair space and celebrate the beauty of 4C hair. I loved this conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Kayla and learned so much from her. If you have not yet read the series on Bustle, please head to the show notes and check out those articles because they are absolutely wonderful. And I am so excited for you to hear this conversation. So without further ado, let's jump into the show. Kayla, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here. I have so many topics that I'm excited to dive in with you today. But before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you do? So I'm currently the fashion and beauty features editor at Bustle. So I kind of focus on larger content packages, um, bigger features, yep. um, a lot of profile pe- a lot of profile pieces too. Um, you know, whether it be like a designer, an influencer, just people who are making a difference. Um, I am originally from Toronto, which is the best city in the world. Um, and yeah, I think my focus really at work and, and what I do is really to just focus on people that haven't been focused on and to kind of push the conversation forward. I think, you know, diversity and inclusion has become this kind of like buzzwords, I, I would say. And, you know, it's fine to say, oh, you're diverse and whatever, but how are we pushing this conversation forward? Because we can't just be, you know, putting one black girl in a campaign and saying, okay, this is diverse now, or we can't just be having one type of, you know, natural hair being shown everywhere and being used for advertisements and sponsored content. But then what about the other girls, you know, with different textures? So that's really the main focus of my work and what I really try to do. I love that because I think for a lot of companies, for a lot of platforms, it can be very easy to check the diversity box of, oh, we have a black person in a photo or we have a brown person in a photo. Why do you have a brown person in a photo? What is their story? What is their experience? It's so much deeper. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And I think even, even within being quote unquote diverse, there's like 
people don't have just one identity, right? Like I could be a black mm-hmm. girl and that's fine, but I'm also not, you know, a black American. I'm not African American. I'm, you know, of Jamaican descent and I'm from Canada, which is a which is a place, well, Toronto specifically is a place where there's so many different cultures. So like I have a different viewpoint than somebody who maybe grew up in Atlanta and they're like a Southern African-American black girl and they just have a totally different, you know, way of thinking about things and seeing the world. And so I think we also have to think about diversity of thought and not just like tokenizing people as like, this is the black person they can talk about the black experience from like every lens, right? Absolutely. I'm so glad that you said that because I know I've been in situations where I get interviewed for things and they'll be like, so Les, how do black women feel about X, Y, Z? And I'm like, I can't tell you how everybody feels. I can tell you how I feel, but there's no one one person who can speak to every experience because we do all have unique exactly. experiences. Exactly. And even with, you know, sexual orientation and things like that, like somebody who is queer or gay or pansexual or whatever they may be or whatever they may identify as at uh, whatever they may identify as they're going to see the world completely different than as somebody like me who's straight and has been straight you know has always identified as straight for their entire life um you know there's just so many different ways to look at the world and I think all of us just need to be more open and also realizing that you know sometimes it's not our place to speak on behalf of other people absolutely And I think for you, so you're a young black woman in the journalism field. And I think that that is very, very important. I would love to hear how maybe some of your personal experiences have informed and shaped the content that you produce and the lens from which you do that. Well, actually, it's very funny because, um, well, it's not, it was horrible at the time, but now I can look back at it and laugh because it literally propelled my career. Um, I grew up in a town maybe about 30 minutes outside of Toronto and it was, I was basically like one of one and a half because I had another black friend and then one of my friends was biracial. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. like, you know, there was not a lot of us. Um, I was the one who had different hair than everybody. I was the one who had different facial features than everybody and I got teased because of it. And on top of, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was kind of, you know, growing up and shaping my identity, um, you know, the standard for beauty was whiteness, you know, and it still is in many ways, but now we're starting to see other types of beauty emerge and become more mainstream. But that's what we saw. It was just, you know, whiteness was the benchmark for beauty. And on top of it, I'm surrounded by, you know, all white kids and, they're telling me I'm the ugly black girl. I'm internalizing that. I'm thinking I'm the ugly black girl. And all, you know what? I just never felt like I could truly be myself. Um, and then when I went to high school, I finally met other black people. They were also of like Jamaican descent. And I finally felt like I belong somewhere and I fit somewhere. And, you know, when I went to university and, you know, you start learning about more things, you start thinking more critically about how the world works and how things go. Um, I started to really just, you know, want to write about things that pertain to um, black women. And I think it's interesting, you know, when you're so used to being excluded, you're very much in tune with inclusion. Mm -hmm. And genuinely, like you want to include as many people as you can, because you know what that feeling's like, where you feel like you just don't fit. And that literally shaped my entire career. Like I'm very much so not interested in covering things that are um, kind of just, I don't know, like a like a blanket over things. Like I really want to get into the nitty gritty and really move things forward because I think, again, we've gotten so comfortable with this whole diversity conversation and people are just like, 
it's diverse and that's good enough and it's great and this is a win for diversity but like what does that mean like are you just saying that because you think it's the right thing to do or do you genuinely want people to be included like I genuinely want people to be included I want people to see themselves I want as many perspectives as I can uh, get into a piece and on top of it it's just interesting to know how other people see the world like I'm tired of hearing about the world and experiences from one perspective and one perspective only. Ugh, preach. I have chills while you're saying that because I could not, <laughs> couldn't agree more of just the importance of sharing those stories and, and hearing from other points of view is so, so important. Totally. And, you know, I'm so lucky that I work with people who are supportive of this. Um, you know, my boss is a white woman, but she's totally on board with everything I do. And she's very understanding. Um, you know, all the women I work with are very understanding. They're very, you know, they, they're open to everything I want to do. I've never felt, you know, when you're in some type of some work environment, sometimes you feel like you're being too Mm -hmm. black and you almost feel weird about it. I have felt that way. And I can honestly say that because I have a good group of people that I work with and I'm lucky to do that. And I, I only hope that other, you know, black female journalists, feel that way too in their workspaces. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's key, especially in a field like journalism. I mean, that is how we get information. So allowing Mm -hmm. people to not only be themselves, but be able to share viewpoints from all different angles is so, I mean, it's critical for that field. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been in positions before where I've pitched ideas and, you know, people will say, just because it's not something that they understand, they'll be like, oh, well, we can't do this because our quote unquote audience doesn't get it. And, or they're like, oh, our audience doesn't know who this person is. And it's like, actually, no, you don't know who this person is. But like, who's to say what's mainstream and what's not? Like, depending on where you're coming from and your perspective, like something could be totally mainstream and normal to you, but may not be that same thing for somebody else because they haven't been exposed to it. Right. So it's like, where I work, it's like they're just interested in hearing everybody's perspective. And that's just kind of what bustle is all about. Absolutely. And something that I think that you're really good at is telling and sharing compelling stories. And a lot of Thank you, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I've you. gone on a bustle binge or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would love to hear from you. Why, why do you feel that storytelling is so powerful? What is it about storytelling that just really grabs us the way it does? I think it's just literally about human connection. I think when you read a story and you feel something inside of you, whether it be a memory comes up or, you know, you're triggered either in a negative or a positive way or whatever, some type of feeling comes up in you, that's going to change how you view whatever, you know, the topic of the, of the story was. Like if I'm reading a story, like I really struggled with my hair growing up. I struggled with everything growing up uh, physically, but like if I'm reading a story about, you know, a woman who had the same experiences as me um, dealing with her hair growing up, learning to love her hair and have like her hair journey and it hits a nerve with mm-hmm. me and I just feel something, it's like it completely changes my perspective or it just makes me feel understood or it makes me feel like I'm not alone because I think that's what we all, we all want somebody to yes. get us. We all want to feel like, our feelings are valid and what we're saying is true and we want to be understood. Everybody wants to be understood. So I think with storytelling, like even if you can't necessarily speak to a person directly, you can read their story that someone else wrote 
and feel connected to that person. And I think that's what it's all about and why it can be so powerful for people. Oh, I love that so much, so much. And I would love to talk a little bit more uh, about what you mentioned just now, kind of transitioning actually no pun intended, uh, to talk about hair. (laughs) I realized that as I was saying it, like, oh, that's a funny, funny word choice. Uh, But to talk about hair and natural hair in the black community, and you mentioned that when you were younger, hair was a really difficult topic for you. And I I definitely want to talk about the incredible work you've done around producing content talking about hair. But before we do that, can you tell us a little bit more about your personal hair journey, what that has been like for you from when you were a little girl to where you're at now as an adult? So with my hair, the earliest memories I can remember of my hair was that it was big and thick and it was just very black Mm -hmm. hair. Um, I had no idea about texture or like categorizing hair. I just knew I had like very, you know, thick, light brown hair. Um, the only thing I would ever get compliments on is my hair color because it's like a kind of a, a unique shade and it changes as the seasons go. But the only other thing I heard about my hair was that it was bad hair. That's the mm-hmm. first thing I remember hearing about my hair is that it was quote unquote bad. And these are words that, you know, we've used in the black community for so long and it's so terrible that we perpetuate it, but there's a whole history behind, you know, the terms good and bad hair. But those are the first things I heard about my hair. So when you hear that as a, as a child, you don't have any sense of identity yet and you're just thinking, oh, what's growing out of my scalp is not good. It doesn't look good. It's ugly. There's something wrong with it. And so that's how I always felt about my hair. So I never liked my hair particularly. Um, and then, you know, back in the back in the 90s and early 2000s, everybody was perming their hair. They weren't really thinking mm-hmm. about it. I got my first perm when I was in elementary school. I'm going to say grade two or grade wow. three. Um, I was very young. And so I didn't think about the fact that wow, this is a permanent decision and it's going to like, you know, it's going to be years before I can go back to having just natural hair. I just thought this is something I have to do to my hair because it needs to look straight. It needs to look this way. This is the only way it's going to look good. And so I was excited to get a perm. I was like, great. Like my hair is going to look like everybody else and I'm going to feel good about myself. And I did feel good about myself for a long time. And it was, you know, great to have quote unquote manageable hair and Back then, you know, our parents didn't really necessarily know how to deal with our hair and there weren't as many products on the market for our hair and it was all kind of catered towards perms and relaxers and anything that was going to kind of chemically manipulate the hair. And so I struggled for a very long time with accepting it and I kind of internalized that like straight hair was the way to go and like meanwhile my hair was dry and it was breaking and it was unhealthy and I felt like it didn't grow and it just it just didn't feel good. So I never really ever liked my hair, I would say, um, for a very long time. And then when I was in university, um, sorry, American State College, when I, <laughs> when I started, when I started college, it was kind of like I, you know, the natural hair movement had kind of started, this was 2010 the natural hair movement had kind of started, you know, picking up a lot more momentum. This is when like Instagram first kind of was coming on the scene and it was kind of becoming a bigger deal. And so I would see more natural hair. And so I was like, I was starting to think about, I was like, you know, okay, I think I kind of want to go natural. And I knew a couple of girls that were going natural and whatnot. And so basically I shaved my head, long story short, 
and I wore it in like kind of a buzz natural cut for a little while and it was cute and I liked it and I would do a little slick down I did blonde like a little amber rose (laughs) deal for a little while and then I was like it kind of grew out a little bit and I was like I don't know if I like this and so I permed it and I wore a permed pixie cut for I want to say four or five years and then again it was just like the feeling of like my hair is dry I'm getting bored it's limp it's whatever wasn't a fan of the perm anymore and on top of it I just saw so many gorgeous black women with their hair out and to me the representation was the biggest thing it's so important and when I saw them with their hair out, I was like okay I'm gonna try to do this I tried oh gosh I want to say three times and failed and then finally the last time I was like I'm going to do this and I finally did it And, you know, at first it was hard to figure out because I, you know, went from a pixie cut. So I was transitioning and it was a whole ordeal to figure it out. But then once I figured out what works for my hair, I'm telling you, I fell in love with my hair and I absolutely love my hair and it is growing and thriving and it's great. And, you know, I do blowouts every once in a while just to kind of see the length of it and or if I just don't feel like washing my hair and I want someone else to do it for me. I'll do a blowout, you know, and it's just like, and every time I do a blowout, it's like never a problem. It's my hair is not difficult Mm -hmm. to manage. Like what was said before, my hair is not whatever. I get like compliments on my hair. People say, I love your hair. Your hair is so healthy. It's so great. And I finally reached a point where I can say, I love my hair. Like I, like I would not ever manipulate it chemically. I would not do anything with it. I just absolutely adore my hair. That just, I'm, that just makes me so happy. And I really appreciate you being so open about that journey and about everything that it took to get to that place and the different things that you've tried and the different ways that you felt because it is very much a journey when we live in a society that conditions us to not feel that way. I mean, wasn't it just at the beginning of this year that New York outlawed discrimination against natural hair? Yes. Just yes. like a few months ago, it was legal to yeah. discriminate against natural textured hair in, in New York, right. which is insane. And it's also insane that we have to have laws to protect yeah. our hair. Like the fact that that even needs exactly. to happen to me, I'm like, okay, this is a little yeah. wild, you know? Absolutely. And so it's not when we can get to the point where it's like, I love my hair exactly how it is, despite societal conditioning despite all of the misinformation we've been given it just messages like that are so powerful and so important that we share with one another absolutely and I think we really need to just you know keep this conversation going and show love to all hair textures just as much because to me it's incredible that in one generation we've turned this around because I don't really see, from what I've seen, I don't see little black girls getting perms and relaxers like how mm-hmm. I used to. You know, like I don't really see just for me all over the place anymore. It's all like about the natural yes. products. And regardless of their texture, I'm seeing them wear their hair out. Which is incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we hop into our next question, we need to take a moment and talk about skin. Summer is right around the corner, and while we should be wearing SPF all year long, now is really the time to step our sun protection game up. That's why I'm currently stocking up on my favorite, Black Girl Sunscreen. 
Black Girl Sunscreen was designed specifically for melanated skin, providing the sun protection we need. Yes, y'all, we need sunscreen too. But it doesn't leave a thick, messy residue on darker skin tones like a lot of other formulas do. Black Girl Sunscreen is infused with natural ingredients including jojoba, avocado, and cacao to protect and moisturize our skin without including harmful chemicals such as parabens and fragrance. Head to blackgirlsunscreen.com and use the code BBG20 to save 20% off your first order. Black Girl Sunscreen is also now available on Target.com. Stay moisturized and protect your skin. And on Bustle, you created a series called Good Hair, which is so good. <laughs> so it's all about, for those who, who maybe haven't seen it yet, and we will have all of the pieces checked or linked in the show notes because I really, really encourage all of our listeners to go check out all of those stories. Um, all about exploring the joys of 4C hair. And I remember reading all the pieces as they were coming out a few months ago. And, you know, we shared several of them on our social media and in our newsletter. Um, and there was one. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, we're all about sharing that here at Balanced Black Girl. Thank you. <laughs> um, and <laughs> in the title piece, it's time to acknowledge that 4C hair is good hair. You said... I'm well aware that the same natural hair movement of the 2000s that inspired me to get rid of my relaxer hasn't exactly been inclusive of all textures. I've always questioned why 4C hair had little representation and those with a full head of this lovely texture have long wondered the same, which is, it was just really, really powerful. And that quote really jumped out at me. And I would love to talk about why representation for 4C hair specifically is so important, because I agree that there isn't, not until very recently, nearly enough representation of it, or not even representation, but celebration of it is what I think is yeah. is missing in a lot of spaces. And I would love to talk about why it's so important to celebrate that. Yeah. Well, I want to start off by saying, um, so we did a photo shoot for this package. And the first thing I said to the girls when I was casting them, like I, I saw photos of them just to make sure that they really had like 4C mm -hmm. hair. And um, I said to them, like, some of them were like, oh, should we, like, do a twist out? And I was like, no. Like, wear your hair as it grows out of your head. And I think there was one girl who came, and she had, like, just taken out some braids, and it was a little bit manipulated. And I was like, no, like, dunk your head yep. in some water. We, yep. need to, we need to see the 4C hair. And because nobody sees – and if you notice those pictures, they're all, like, smiling, and they're laughing, and they're joyful. We don't mm -hmm. see that. I think the biggest issue about the lack of celebration when it comes to that texture is because – We've always thought of it as bad yeah. hair. We've always thought of it as this like negative thing. And that's not a real, this is not real. There's no such thing as good or bad hair. It's, these are the labels we place on it because of things we've been exactly. taught. Um, and so the celebration of that hair, when we see 4C being celebrated, we normalize mm -hmm. it. When we start, when we stop, when we stop talking about the fact that we need to celebrate it is when it becomes normalized and when people with 4C hair will no longer feel um, slighted by the lack of representation, or maybe they won't feel, you know, that, that nothing works for them or products won't work for them, or, you know, that their hair is difficult to manage because that's, again, not true. You know, your hair might take longer, your hair might be more delicate depending on, 
you know, how your hair is formed. But if you have the right products and the right tools to take care of your hair, no hair is difficult to manage. Boom. That is such a good, that is such a good mic drop. And that reminds me of um, one of the other pieces that was in the Good Hair series that I really loved was sharing the perspectives of seven women reflecting on the journey and joys of having 4C hair, which was such a great article. And one of the women, I think her name was Ariel, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, talked about how she reached adulthood and realized she never understood how to do her own natural hair, which is relatable for a lot of women. Sounds like that was your story. I know that was my story. (laughs) Um, But she also said that the joy of her hair is the fact that she has to put a lot of work into it. And Oh, yes, that was our, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So good. And that the care that she puts into it is part of why she loves it. And when I read that, it just it was the biggest aha moment for me because I thought it was a really beautiful perspective. There's that whole idea partially behind bad hair being bad because it's work to manage or because it's Mm -hmm. perceived as difficult to manage. But her actually saying the care that I have to put into my hair is why I love it was I just I thought that that was incredibly, incredibly powerful. Exactly. And I love the fact that she said, you know, you wouldn't have to work for anything else in life. You know, we say nothing good comes easy. But when it comes to 4C hair, we're like, oh, God, it's too hard. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. Imagine we said that about other things in life. You know, the fact that like you do have to put a little bit more work into it sometimes. But it turns out great. Like 4C hair, honestly, can do so many things. It is such a versatile texture. It can hold protective styles a little bit longer than other textures sometimes. You know, you can manipulate it if you want. You can use, you know, braid it out or do twist outs and it looks beautiful and it holds a style for a very long time. You can do bloats if you want to and it will be beautiful. You can do so many things with 4C hair. You can even like sculpt it. You can do whatever it is you want with this hair type. And I think so many people are almost like afraid of it that they don't even want to try. They just kind of are like, hey, let me just like throw something in it to make it finer or make it less quote unquote coarse or you know what I mean? So I just think, you know, we really need to spend the time to figure out all the great things that 4C hair can do and not look at it as a problem anymore. And I, I know we touched on this earlier, talking about kind of the next generation of young black girls behind us and the amazingness it is that they are not necessarily dealing with some of the same things that us 90s babies dealt with, with the just for me marketing mm-hmm. and the relaxers. Oh, uh, because I remember them too. <laughs> and I remember begging for it too. Um, but I think that a big part of that is when you're growing up and you hear comments about how difficult your hair is to take care of, we internalize those messages. And so I think you absolutely yeah. do. Absolutely. And a big part of also making that shift is with this next generation being really cognizant of that kind of language around them so that they don't start to internalize that at a young age. And then they they won't Mm -hmm. have to do all of this inner work and kind of undoing in the first place. Exactly. And that's the biggest thing. Like, I hope one day, you know, I have a little girl because I literally want her to love herself. I want to raise her to love herself because I didn't have that. I struggled. Like even if she is the one black girl in the room, I want her to have Beyonce type of confidence. Yes. You know, I want her to just be like, I'm great regardless of, you know, if the whole room looks like me or if they don't. And I love my hair, even though it looks different than everyone else's. Like I want to instill that in her. And I think 
you know, most black women of our generation want to instill that in our daughters. And it's so important because there's nothing wrong with us. There's absolutely nothing wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with our skin. There's nothing wrong with our hair. There's nothing wrong with, you know, if you have loose waves, there's nothing wrong. If you have the coiliest texture on earth, there's nothing wrong with your hair. Absolutely. And that those things, those differences are just that they're just they're differences, they're varieties, they're different types, but Mm -hmm. one is not better than the other. The idea of some being desirable and some being undesirable. Those are things that I'm really, really excited to see that type of thinking really shift and leave. Exactly. Right. And there's also another article um, that I wrote for the for the good hair package. And it was like how we came to think of 4C hair as a bad texture. Loved that one. And it literally, thank you. And it literally goes back to the days of Mm -hmm. slavery. It was like we were divided because of our hair texture. We were, you know, there's things called the comb test where if your hair didn't if, if like a, if you couldn't comb your hair using like a fine tooth comb, you weren't allowed in certain places. Like these are the types of things that have made us believe that our hair is not mm-hmm. good, you know. And a lot of people, the problem is, is that they don't know the yeah. history. Absolutely, they don't know where this is coming from. But then they continue to say these things. They continue to perpetuate it. So for me, like when I hear black people using the terms "good hair" or "bad hair" or "your hair is so." If they're using any type of negative terminology to describe forcey hair, I correct mm-hmm. them. Because I'm like, we can't use this, especially when I see them using it around children or people saying like, oh, I I hope my daughter's hair is like this texture. I hope. And I'm like, no, like her texture is her texture. And you learn how to work with it. This is your child. Do not feed her this type of, you know, negativity about her hair. And if her hair is looser, don't give her a superiority Mm -hmm. complex about it. Her hair is just her hair. Learn to do her hair. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I loved that article because it went really in depth into the history behind our hair and how it's been perceived, especially in this country over time. But what I also loved is that it started with talking about our hair pre-colonial era and how 4C textured hair was really celebrated. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is also really important context to have as well, because what that taught me as I was reading it or what it showed me was that literally all of these ideas that we have around different textures and texture discrimination are completely created from societal measures completely that is right purely what it comes from when our ancestors previously celebrated exactly what we had and it's really important to have all of that context yeah. And the professor who I spoke to, she's like an expert in, in hair and, you know, black history, African history. She literally said, like, our hair was supposed to grow up towards the heavens because it would make you feel more uh, close to the divine or something to that effect. And that to me is so powerful because it's like this is literally like we are made in God's yes. image, you know, um, and that's what we're supposed to look like. like there's no reason why you know, we should be continuously tearing ourselves down. So I think it really comes down to just education and learning why we think those things. I think we need to, as a community in general, we need to start really thinking about why we think what we think about our hair and why are we calling it bad and why are we calling it nappy and coarse and using all these negative terminology the kinkier a hair type gets. Why? You know, and there's a there's a hairstylist. He's Lupita Nyong'o's hairstylist, Vernon Francois. He is extraordinary to me because he does every type of natural mm-hmm. hair, and 
he has shown the world that Forcey hair is so versatile. There is nothing Lupita Nyong'o's hair cannot yeah. do. And he's shown that. She's had so many different types of hairstyles. Even when her hair is buzzed down, it looks amazing. Yes. You know, and we need more people like that to be able to showcase that and not be, you know, leaving these people. You know, there's a lot of um, actors and actresses who have actually spoken out about the fact that even on set, even at the height of their careers, there's not people on set who can mm-hmm. do their hair. Huge yeah. issue. Huge issue. Absolutely. Because it shows the, it shows kind of the prioritization and the importance. If you're on a, a set for something that's being produced, the resources are there to bring that in. But if it's not a priority to the people who are doing that production or making those arrangements, it, it's just ridiculous. And then it makes everyday people feel like, okay, well then what can I do then? If this person can't even get what they need in, in this exactly in this space, then what can I do for the everyday person? Exactly. So it it does, it feels a little like, well, my hair can't, you know, you kind of put yourself in this box of my hair is a problem when those types of things happen. Right. So I think, you know, a lot of hairstylists, they can do a lot when it comes to, you know, just making sure that they're putting that representation out there, which I think Vernon does such a great job of doing. And I really, really salute him for being able to do that and just put that out there and celebrating kinky textures and not just kinky textures, but all textures. And he puts them all on the same equal playing field. He does not put one hair type above the other. And I applaud him 100% for that. I think that that's so important. And I think that there are a lot of other either brands or spaces in the hair and beauty industry that can definitely take note. Um, Absolutely. I was recently talking to a friend of mine who she doesn't have kinky hair, but her hair is really curly and she had gone to a like blow drying salon basically and, and made an appointment and the the stylist was running late and essentially they told her that because the stylist was running late and her appointment time was getting cut into that doing her hair because it's so curly was going to be a problem that they weren't going to be able to do it because there wasn't enough time and basically made her feel as if her hair was an inconvenience to them, even though it was the stylist who was running late and kind of that salon's issue for not being able to adequately deal with textured hair and bad, horrible, bad, horrible move. And when she was telling me the story, I mean, when she was telling all of us the story, we were all just infuriated by it because you cannot make someone feel like they are an inconvenience based off of the texture of their hair, not properly training your employees so that if anyone does have textured hair, that is an inconvenience to you. It's not an inconvenience. It's part of your job to be able to deliver a customer experience that is equal to everybody regardless of their hair texture. And if you're running late, you're running late, but her texture should have nothing to do with that. There were just so many layers of wrong <laughs> in that example no, seriously. if you I strongly believe if you are a hairstylist your job is to do yes. hair regardless of texture like you should be able to do everyone's hair as a hairstylist you know and you know there's issues when it comes to you know cosmetology schools and things like that a lot of them don't offer training beyond just straight hair, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that it can be an additional cost for stylists. And there's a, there's a lot of different things at play there, but you don't necessarily have to go to school to learn how to work on kinky yeah. hair. You can just work on exactly. kinky hair, you know, I get, you know, so it's just, 
there's a lot of issues there when it comes to that. And, you know, personally, I've felt that Mm -hmm. way too. So like, you know, whenever I go to a salon, sometimes I do have to check, unfortunately, and say, hi, can somebody do type four Mm -hmm. natural hair? Because I have very thick hair. And I'm terrified that like, you know, I love my hair now. So I'm like, okay, nobody can ruin it. (laughs) So I'm like terrified that, you know, if I go to a stylist that doesn't necessarily know how to do my hair, then my hair is gonna be wrecked. And I'm gonna be very upset. Which is such a valid fear that shouldn't be the case, but unfortunately is. I actually hate that, you know, black women can't just go to any salon and get their hair done. You know, meanwhile, I don't think that this is necessarily the case for people who are white or who have finer Mm -hmm. hair and want to get their hair done. Like, that's never the case for them. Anybody can, can do their hair, you know, most of the time definitely more often than us. So it's just very sad that we still have to think about these types of things. And I think this is honestly probably why we are so loyal to our hairstyles. Because once we find a good one who gets our hair, we do not stray. You don't let them go. (laughs) No, you don't let them go. That's like, you're like in a relationship with them. (laughs) Exactly. Which is, it's one of the most important relationships I know I have. So (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. So, Kayla, what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? What does it mean to me? I think being a balanced black girl is always finding space to be happy. Mm, Love that. Always finding space to be happy and always finding space to rest. I think, you know, work hard. Absolutely work your tail off if you need to. Do what you need to do to make your presence known in this world. But at the same time, leave room for your happiness, leave room for rest, leave room for relaxation. And I think that's how you find balance in this crazy, crazy world we live in. <laughs> Such a crazy world. But actually, <laughs> Such a crazy world. I love that the first thing that you said was happiness. And it, it reminds me of something that you said earlier when we were talking about the good hair piece that was sharing the photographs of women with 4C hair smiling and looking happy is that black women have and deserve happiness just like everybody else. And it's, that's Mm -hmm. not always depicted as much as it should be, but us prioritizing it and making sure that at least for the media that we control and for the imagery that we control and for our own sense of balance, which is kind of all that we can mostly control, having that be front and center is so important. It's so important because I think oftentimes what happens is that we have so many things working Mm -hmm. against us. Then when we do speak up, it's usually about the negative things we're dealing with in our lives. And it just kind of happens because we have things we have to deal with and we just have, you know, things are working against us and we are highly disrespected and we aren't as valued in general society. So naturally when we speak up and we talk about things, we're going to talk about our issues because we need to talk about it. It's not healthy to keep it inside. But at the same time, we absolutely deserve to be happy. We absolutely deserve to be happy. Black women should be joyful. And they should be joyful more than they are, you know, upset or angry about something or sad about something. And that's not always the case. So I definitely think, you know, making room for happiness is vital. Um, Absolutely vital. I Yeah, it's just it's so important. And even if that's just cooking yourself a meal or, you know, buying or spending a little extra money to buy yourself some ice cream or like 
you know, not taking your work home one night and instead watching, you know, reality TV or just watching like some, you know, nonsense on television that's going to make you laugh, do that and make yourself happy and put yourself first. Or if it means going to bed at 8 p.m., <laughs> do that. Like, <laughs> do yes. it. Do something that's going to make you happy. Or just even, you know, committing to taking one day a week, even if your work schedule is crazy, committing to taking one day a week where you do nothing. Oof. Or you just like turn your phone off and you don't, you know, correspond with people for that day. And it's just, that's just your day. That's so vital. Oh my gosh. I know that last one is my definition of happiness for sure. (laughs) I love turning phones off. So (laughs) love having it all turned off and just doing my own thing. That's the best. Yes. Thank you so much for that. So Kayla, what is next for you? How can we find you? How can our audience keep in touch with you? So all of my socials are Kayla A. Greaves. Um, and what's next for me is I just want to continue to push our stories forward. I want to continue to put, you know, as many people as I can on a platform and share their stories. And it goes even just beyond black women, just anybody who's ever felt like they've been excluded in this world or they didn't have a place in this world. I want to tell their stories and I want to tell it genuinely and the most, you know, amazing uplifting way that I can and if it's not you know sometimes the story is not for me to write sometimes it's for me to just be able to give a writer a chance and just you know have them share their story and tell their truth and be honest with the world and you know have people understand where they're coming from and that's absolutely what I want to do I feel that that is my life's work incredible I love and can relate to that so much and am so grateful for people like you who truly do that because it is so important that we hear those stories and hear those perspectives. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) And we will be sure to have all of your information linked in the show notes so that our folks can come follow you. We will have all of the articles that we referenced today also in the show notes. I highly recommend our listeners go read them all, check them out uh, because you will love them. So thank you so much coming on the show today, Kayla. I love chatting with you. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. Absolutely.